Amen. Well, let's let's turn to Romans 14, and uh, we um, we are gonna we are concluding our series on joy today, and we'll begin a new series next week. But um, we're not concluding our desire or our openness to manifest this joy in greater and greater capacities. So keep your heart set on joy. It is one-third of the kingdom of God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so we're not, we're not letting, you know, we're not laying joy down as a result of, of I feel like God's, you know, finishing this, this series out, um, and then we're going to step over into something else. But we're not laying it down. We want to we keep that, um, everything that we've learned. And then I'm going to really, today I'm going to give you some real practical application type of stuff, which I love practical application type of stuff because um, ultimately we want to enjoy the Lord, but we also want the Lord to empower us in our lives. And so um, I like things that are practical, but I don't know, probably maybe a month, month and a half ago, I really got a word from the Lord that uh, he was transitioning the body of Christ from sorrow to joy. And, um, and so I've been really basically preaching on that ever since that happened. And just seeing that in the scriptures, I'm going to continue to study this personally, um, but, I, but I feel like we've culminated and this will be our final session on this. Um, but he, he wants that joy in our lives because he wants to strengthen us with that. And he wants to, you know, one of the analogies that we've looked at is, you know, when you fly in an airplane, they pressurize the cabin with an atmosphere. And that's how you can successfully fly so fast and so high and God wants to pressurize the cabins of our hearts with his joy. He wants to pressurize our families with joy. Uh, how many know that we don't have to allow the spirit of this world to infiltrate our hearts and our minds? We don't have to allow the, the sorrow that's in the world to dip over into our hearts. And how many know, in fact, we want to guard ourselves against it? And we want, we want, to, we want to stay directed toward, towards the joy of the Lord. And so... Um, you know, Romans 14 and verse 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, one third of the kingdom is joy. We've taken a look at how joy is strength. God wants to bring joy into your life. A part of being joyful um, is it makes you strong. And I'll tell you this too, it's easier to resist temptation when you're in a state of joy. Temptation is more effective uh, when you're in a place of sorrow or you're in a place of dissatisfaction. And uh, when someone's heart is in a state of joy, there, there's a, a place of contentment and satisfaction. How many know nothing can really satisfy you but Jesus? And there's a lot of things that would try to act like it can satisfy you or try to act like it can bring life to you, and it can't. How many know sin never brings joy? <laughs> I mean, never. It may give you like a moment of like some type of, you know, sati you know not satisfaction, but some, some type of pleasure but how many know right after sin, there's never joy. There's, al there's always a sense of sorrow. There's always a sense of shame the enemy tries to bring in. And then ultimately, it tries to get you, the enemy tries to get you to identify with something that you're not. How many know you're a child of God, you're the righteousness of God, and you don't identify with failure? Can I get an amen? You may have moments of failure. You may have times when you fail or fall. That's a part of being human. But we always identify with Jesus. We always put our eyes back on him no matter what. But one of the ways the enemy, I think, he is successful in temptation in someone's life is there's an absence of joy. There's an absence of the strength that's in the kingdom. And how I many you know we want to be strong and we want to be fortified against the temptation of the enemy? This is one of the ways. You don't hear people talk about that a lot. You don't hear people talk about how, the, how when you're in a state of joy, temptation is less attractive. But it's true. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We've taken a look and we've seen how Jesus was joyful. He was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. I know that when he was on the cross, he was a man of sorrow. Uh, he, was, he, was give, he was paying the price. He was doing the work of redemption. But Jesus in his daily life was a man, was a joyful man. How do you know that, Jeremiah? Because scripture says he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. And we also know that. How many know Jesus was strong? Jesus wasn't weak. And also children were attracted to Jesus. They always wanted to be near Jesus. How many know children want to be around things that are joyful, right? And so Jesus was joyful. Then joy is a part of your nature. You're not trying to get joy. Joy is something that you possess. It's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. How I many you know that you now have the character of Christ, right? Love, peace, joy, kindness. Joy is something that you have. It's a part of your new nature. How I many you know in, in, in heaven, it's a joyful atmosphere, amen? 
And so uh, joy is a part of your new nature. Um, then also joy is something that you can be filled with afresh and anew. We take a look in scriptures. There were times where the Holy Spirit fell and there were times of refreshing from the Lord in the early church and they were filled with joy. I believe that's coming to the body of Christ. I believe we're kind of uh, digging the wells of understanding and, you know, and, and taking a look at it and seeing the importance of it. But I believe there are going to be moments in the days ahead where j the joy of the Lord just hits uh, a people. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, many times uh, sorrow is attributed in, in a place of repentance, and it should be. I mean, oh, godly sorrow does bring forth repentance. But, but there, in, in the book of Nehemiah, and we're not going to go here right now, but in the book of Nehemiah, they were trying to rebuild the wall. They were trying to rebuild the city. They were trying to rebuild the things that had been stolen, the things that had been ransacked by the enemy. And they had this time and this moment where they were sorrowful as they heard the word of the Lord. But God came and said, no, we, I don't want you to be sorrowful. I want you to be joyful. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What if joy hits our young people and they repent from sin and turn to Jesus and they're not in sackcloth and ashes and tears, but they're actually full of joy. And they found out that God has the real party. God has the real happiness and the real joy. And so uh, we see a time where that happened and in, in, in I believe it's a picture of the new covenant. I'm not saying that there can't be tears and and sorrow with, with repentance and with change, but I, I, I do believe that God is very capable of doing it through joy as well. Um, and then so also uh, we took a look at the relationship of joy and grace, and we saw how the word grace is the word charis and how kara is the product of charis. Joy, when you understand, how many of you understand the grace of God brings a joy in your life? Amen. It does. And so there's this direct correlation between grace and joy and, and one of the things you have to understand, if you add grace to the equation, I mean, we find out it's not something that's earned. It's not something that's deserved. This is an undeserved joy. This is a joy that's born of God's goodness. It's not something that you deserve or something that you earn. And so when we're, I mean, when you're under legalism, you're joyless. And you have to understand that when legalism is managed to, to kind of get back in to your thought processes, how I many none of us are exempt from it? Never for a moment think, well, I'm so free, I'll never go back into legalism. Never think that. Never, please never think that. Because I've been preaching this for, man, over probably 12, 13, 14 years. I've wrote books about it. You know, I, my, this is my life. And yet legalism still creeps into my life. And so, uh, and there's no one who doesn't deal with it. It's the primary attack of the enemy. When you're under grace, the enemy can't handle you. Because you're living in a state of victory. You're living in a state of joy. Your faith is flourishing because you know you're not earning something. You're receiving a gift. So the only thing he can do is try to get you back in legalism to weaken you so that he can attack you. So never think that you're going to arrive to this place to where your legalism never tries to come back in. Please understand that. And, you know, and for me, you know, I wasn't raised in the church, so I don't have maybe a legalistic upbringing. But how I many legalism is everywhere in the world? The thought process of meritocracy, the thought process of earning and deserving, um, you can't bring that into the kingdom. I mean, you, know, you don't earn anything in God's kingdom. It's all a free gift. Amen? Now, God will reward you for using the grace that he gave you. So there are rewards to fulfilling your calling, but uh, these are things where God gives you a gift, and then he rewards you for using it. How many of you know God just hooks it up, period, right? Because he's awesome. But um, there's a dynamic between the relationship of grace and the relationship of joy. Um, and then we found out that um, gratitude guards joy. We, we took a look at that a couple weeks ago, how we stay in a state of thanksgiving and how it, it, guards, your, it guards your joy. How I many you, you're not, you can't be joyful in complaining? That just doesn't work. How I many you know if you're complaining, you're actually not, under, you're not aware of grace? That's, a, that's one of those strong ways. It's true. If you're complaining, you're not aware of what God's done for you. Amen. When you're in a state of thanksgiving and you're in a state of gratitude, how many know that's actually reality? You're seeing clearly when you're thankful. When you're not thankful, you're not seeing clearly. How many know everybody, if God never did another thing for us as long as we live ever, we still have enough to be thankful for in eternity on what he's done. Y'all tracking me here? And so uh, there's a powerful thing about gratitude that it guards your heart, it guards your joy, it guards your quality of life. And, um, and then a couple weeks ago, we took a look at how there's joy in the Holy Spirit. That passage of Scripture, Romans 6.14. No, it's not Romans 6.14. Romans 14.17. 
It says joy in the Holy Spirit. So there's this relationship of joy and God's presence and God's Spirit. And so I taught specifically on the Holy Spirit two weeks ago. We took a look at that. Took a look. I mean, the presence of the Lord was strong in here today. Amen. And it felt so good. I didn't even want to preach. I just wanted to stay in a place of worship. And um, I was seeking the Lord if he would allow me to do that. Because um, there's a strengthening in the presence of the Lord. There's a joy in the presence of the Lord. And so we looked at that a couple weeks ago. And then last Sunday, Grant taught on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you right now, awesome teaching. And uh, if you haven't heard that, listen to it. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to, do, to get it, man. Get that gift. We'll pray for you today. It's a powerful gift. Um, I don't know how I would even function in my life without this gift. I pray in the Spirit every day. Um, and I don't do it because I'm super spiritual. I do it because I'm super needy. <laughs> you know, I'm not like, I am spiritual. And I know I'm like, I need, my, I need help. <laughs> and he's the helper. He's the comforter, man. And uh, it is the most amazing gift ever. It's one of the most misunderstood things in the body of Christ. And how many of the enemy attacks it hard? Because the enemy fears it, and he doesn't want people getting a hold of this gift. He doesn't want people operating in the prayer language. What's more powerful than praying out the perfect will of God? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, don't, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray a lot of times. I mean, I know how to take authority. I know how to stand for the promises of God. But when I'm talking about individuals or situations, I'd much rather yield my mouth to God's wisdom than use Jeremiah Johnson's wisdom. And so Grant did an amazing teaching on that last Sunday. And uh, just stir up that gift, pray in the Spirit. It's one of the best things that you can do. And if you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to listen to that. And so now we're going to, we're going to finish this, and we're going to finish this um, with, with, with something very simple, but at the same time, um, it's something that you have the ability to do. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4, and um, I want to look at... A third word that is in relationship to grace. We looked at charis, which is grace, and then kara, which is joy. But now we're going to look at karo. And this is the only verb that we're going to be talking about. And this, is, this means to rejoice. 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 To rejoice. We're going to take a look at rejoicing today. And rejoicing from the perspective of being purposeful about it and make a decision to do it. Now, that, that word, that karo, I mean, that, that comes out of grace. Once again, you're rejoicing because of grace. Karis is still the root of that word as well. Really important to understand. All of this is based on the grace of Jesus Christ. But how I many know everybody in here, you have the ability to change the way you're looking at something? How I many know in every storm, just allow this in your life, there's also a rainbow? And you choose what you focus on. That is one thing that is purely in your, that God's placed in your ability. How I many you know, you don't ha always have the ability to change yourself. If you ever noticed that before, I'm, I've never been good at changing myself, but the Lord is good at it. And I've changed because of him. How I many you know, you don't always have the ability to change somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> We can laugh about that all day. You ain't never got the ability to change somebody else. In fact, one of the greatest miseries you can endure in life is to think that you can change somebody else. Now, man, with our kids, we raise our kids, and we do the best that we can and all that. But how many know at the end of the day, they have their own choices they're going to make? They're little humans, right? And, and, and um, certainly when they're real little, we can you know, limit their, their decision-making processes you know, I can, I can make my daughter sit down, and I can, I can change her diaper. I can make her let me change her diaper, but I can't make her want me to change her diaper <laughs> or not fight me in the process. You know what I'm saying? I have no access. Even at under tears, I have no access to her little heart. I can't make her want to do what's right, you know what I'm saying, or, or what I want her to do, right? So all that being said, you don't have the ability to change a person, Right? And how many know there are sometimes you have situations that you don't have the ability to change? There are, some, there are times there are situations they, they, they're not within your ability to change. But how many know you do have the ability to choose what you focus on? It's huge. And God, through the act of rejoicing and being thankful, he's saying, in a storm, you can focus on me. 
You can be thankful for me. You can make a decision to look at me. How I many you know when David stood against Goliath, he wasn't looking at the height of Goliath. Everyone else was looking at how big Goliath was. David was looking at the fact that the man had no covenant, and David had a covenant. So great things happen when you can make a decision to choose to focus on God. Because that's a choice. And this is where we kind of click, we kick the ball in your court here for just a moment. Now, rejoicing has the ability to untap the joy of the Lord in you. And I'll say it to you like this, and I'll give you the rare Jeremiah Johnson car analogy. Amen? Because I changed my blinker fluid before I came. You know what I'm saying? I'm one of those people. <laughs> I'm not that bad, but I'm close. Amen. Uh, I should have paid attention at some point during my childhood, but I didn't. I just held the flashlight and daydreamed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but um, how many know that your car battery is not designed to run your car? You may have ever lost your alternator before. How many of you got about two minutes <laughs> until your power steering goes out and it's game over? Because the battery does not have the power to maintain the function of the motor, right? But the battery is used to start the motor and to get it rolling, and then the power of the motor will maintain the power of the alternator and everything will continue. So the battery is important, but it's the small part. Just like the light switch over here on the wall. How many of the light switch doesn't have the power to produce the electricity or the light? But it is the, it is the switch. This act of rejoicing has the ability, if you'll, if you'll choose. See, here's the thing. You have some options here. You can just hear what I'm saying and, 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 and then go home. Or you can make a decision to implement this in your life. If you make a decision to implement this in your life, it's going to make your life better. And it's actually going to set you free from some darkness that's tried to surround your thoughts and your mind. And some of you, you've known how to do this, but you've forgotten. And some of you, you've done this, but you've done it in legalism. You've never tried to purposely make a decision to rejoice in the understanding of the grace of God. But what I'm presenting to you can be a power switch in connecting you to the joy of the Lord and bringing tremendous strength in your life. But it's your decision on whether you're going to actually implement it or you're just going to listen to what I'm saying. Amen? It's true. It's true. Yes. And so in Philippians chapter 4 and in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So he, he, he's encouraging He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, this letter was written from prison. This man was in a physically, circumstantially, a low point in his life. But the book of Philippians is one of the most joyful, rejoicing books that's written in Scripture. If you, take a, if you take a look at it and you walk through the scriptures of it. He's writing this from prison. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. How I many you know Paul had learned how to take his attention and his focus off his circumstances and put it on the Lord and enter into a state of rejoicing? He learned how to do that. And so he tells us, he encourages us, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, so he says it twice. He's like, I'm encouraging you to do this. Because check this out. How many you know on Monday, you have the ability to rejoice in the Lord? Amen. You can choose to do so. And as you hit the ignition, it will bring, how many you know gratitude is something that's practiced? Gratitude is a culture. And just the same like fault finding, grumbling, and complaining, and being offended. I mean, a shroud of offense is trying to encase our land. Nobody's thankful. Everybody feels entitled and everybody's offended. And they're miserable. No thanks. I'm not participating in that. 
If you, you know what I'm saying? Like, if y'all want to be offended, mad, and angry, and grumbling and complaining, how I many there's a lot of Christians like that too? Y'all go ahead, because I'm not, I'm not in that part. I'm not doing that. Why? Because I, like, I, I want to enjoy my life. You know, if I'm standing in line and there's a bunch of people who are complaining about what's going on in line or complaining about the, cash, the person that's running the cash register, I don't participate. And, I mean, I'll, I'll get, you know, kind of rude. Not rude in the sense that I'm shutting them down, but then they'll start complaining. I'll just be like, <laughs> you know, because I have participated and poured bitterness in my cup, and then what happens is, how many of you know you start complaining and grumbling and moaning? How many of y'all things get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse? Because your, your vision is being narrowed into something that's not bringing you life. At any moment, at any day, at any time of your life, you have the option of rejoicing in the Lord. And I'm telling you, as you practice this, it gets easier. I've been doing this in a season of my life. Before I do the radio program, I, every, 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 every time I accept, maybe, maybe just like once, I, I get everything done that I need to get done early, and I drive to this gas station right next to the radio station. And I pull in, Super America, and I pull in, I got my little parking place, and I praise God for like an hour with no music, no instruments, <laughs> just me and my off key and my vague rhythm. I'm either clapping or smacking my leg or whatever, but I'm singing to the Lord. And what I have found, and listen, as I've done this, it's gotten easy. Because see, I used to play guitar and sing to God. And God is real, for whatever reason, he's, he doesn't, doesn't want me to do that. Amen. <laughs> Everybody like, it's because you suck, Jeremiah. That's why. No, my dad loves my guitar playing. I don't know. He wants me to be able to do it without an instrument. That's what I think. I don't know. That's what I'm telling myself. <laughs> yeah, you tell yourself that, brother. But like, the Lord doesn't need you to sound like Maverick City or somebody else in order for him to enjoy your, your praise. You have to understand that. Like, we, we think, you know, just the people that can sing should be rejoicing. It doesn't say, oh, ye that sing on key rejoice. It doesn't say that in the Greek. Oh, ye that sing on key. You rejoice. The rest of y'all, y'all need to shut up and sit in the back and watch. But how many know we've kind of taught people that? And, and rejoicing, we don't just watch Brian rejoice or watch Sean rejoice or watch Hannah rejoice. We don't, we're not called to do that. How many know we should, we need to learn how to rejoice ourselves? And, and you, church is a place where you can, you know, you're, you're, you're forced into rejoicing for a little bit. But it doesn't say just rejoice on Sunday morning. It says rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. In other words, I mean, you know, this might be something that we can practice in our personal life and get good at. And what I have found is as I've done this, a couple of things have happened to me. Number one, my joy has increased. And by the time I get in that radio station, I'm in the spirit. And my focus is correct. And, um, you know, and I'm not saying everybody has an hour where they can spend just praising and worshiping God. I'm not saying that. I'm in a different position because I'm in full-time ministry. But what I am saying is as I've done that, and you know what's happened? It's gotten easier and easier and easier for me to get in that place. Like it's, it's not as difficult to get there. And then what I've found out is I can do it at my house. I can do it when I'm cleaning my kitchen. I can do it when I'm just doing, you know, mundane activities. I got the same breath, and I can rejoice. And sometimes it can be, Something that I'm singing. Sometimes it can just be something that I'm saying. Sometimes it can be, there's a lot of different ways to rejoice. But ultimately what I'm doing is I'm changing my focus. I'm looking away from this world to the world that I belong in. And that world is present here on earth as well. So I'm not saying I'm waiting till heaven. How many of the kingdom is here? Amen. And so, but it's a change of focus, right? And so... Um, anyway, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please. And so this rejoicing is something we can get good at. I mean, you can get good at complaining. You ever been around somebody who's a skilled complainer? It's tough, man. Those people are tough. I mean, like, they can, you can have the, I mean, it almost takes a level of skill to find out something wrong. You know, and you, everything can be like, yeah, but the coffee's cold. And they're almost proud of themselves for, Figuring that out, you know. 
How many of you know they've trained themselves to see the negative? And if you train yourself to see the negative, and that's the filter that you're going to see the world through, that's, that's not a good filter, and that's a sad filter. And, and, and many of us, man, you know, we've come out of some challenging years these past couple years. Some of us, we've had some of the hardest years of our life. And, and, and I feel like the Lord is saying, rejoice. Get your eyes off of your circumstance. Get your eyes off of you. Get your eyes on me, because I've got this brimming beautiful, warm cup of joy that I want to pour into your heart, but I need you to look at me to receive it. Y'all tracking me here? Now, here's the thing. You only get a chance to do this in really in this life. The next life, it's going to be difficult for you to contain your rejoicing because you're going to see him. When you see him, you worship and praise him. And you're filled with joy. You can't help it. All the angels, Sean was talking about this morning, the angels, I mean, they're just, that, that's what they do. They're overwhelmed. The demons slipped up and did it one time when Jesus was in his earthly walk. They fell down in the world. They, oh, what are we doing? We, <laughs> we're, we're the bad guys. <laughs> you remember that? I love that passage of scripture. They just forgot what they were doing. They fell down and started worshiping Jesus, man. They're like, oh, wait, 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 you know. But that's the way he, that's the impact he has because he's so awesome, right? This is your only chance to do it by faith. It's the only shot you get for this. And it means something more when you're doing it and you can't see anything. There's value in it. There's, there, there, there's, uh, there's weight in it. And that's why there are times that it talks about offering up the sacrifice of praise. What are you doing? Well, you're you're focused. And here's the thing. As you start to rejoice, your perception starts to get clearer and clearer and listen to me, the way you see your situation starts to change. But folks, this is a very simple, easy thing to do. But it's also a very simple, easy thing to not do. We, we only rejoice when we're around the music. We only rejoice when it's Sunday morning. But this is, this is, this is, a, this is something you can develop in your life. Amen? And so 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, it says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. So there's this common theme here, right? And, and we're not doing it for God. We're doing it for us. Now turn to 1 Chronicles 16, please. 1 Chronicles 16. And I, I want to talk about this in, in maybe just a little bit more of a practical manner. First Chronicle. How many of you know David had some understanding about God that was ahead of his time? The man was just ahead of his time. He was a prophet. Um, he was unlike any other prophet. He prophesied more of the Messiah than anybody else. He had an understanding of the new covenant. Um, he wasn't operating under it, but he saw it afar off and prophesied about it. And uh, he knew there was going to be a people coming that God would not impute sin to. And um, and he he was he really operated like a New Testament believer, but he, he instituted things that were unusual at the time. First Chronicles 16 and verse 4, this is, this is what David, David appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Now, the thing that I want to bring out here is there were times, this is one example of this, there were times where David appointed somebody to rejoice. You're going to the temple at 5 o'clock until 6, and you're going to rejoice. Like, what's my job? Go rejoice from five to six. <laughs> what I love about this is he didn't say if you felt like it. He didn't say if your emotions lined up. He didn't say if, if the God of Isaac and, and Abraham and Jacob was good to you. He said, no, no, I appoint you. Go rejoice at this time. Now, the reason I say all that is sometimes we think that rejoicing is something that we need to feel, that we need to have an emotional response to. It does not say rejoice when you emotionally feel like rejoicing. It says rejoice always. And so David, in a very practical sense, assigned people to rejoice. And the reason that I say all that is because 
It's a choice. Now, when you first make the decision to rejoice, you might not feel like it. There have been times when I pulled up to that little gas station when I was tired and I had problems and I had a lot of things that I could focus on besides the Lord. But I have appointed that time for me to rejoice. There have been times that I would start rejoicing and get distracted. There have been times when I had a successful rejoicing time and I was really in the presence of the Lord. And there were times when I would set myself to rejoice, and by the time it was done, I was so distracted, I really didn't feel like I did that great of a job, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I have an appointed time, and it's a decision to make, and what it's done is it's, it's begun to develop a greater lifestyle of thanksgiving in my life as a result of, you know, because, I mean, you know, we try to be disciplined in a lot of things. You know, I'm going to be disciplined about my eating. I'm going to be disciplined about exercise. I'm going to be disciplined about trying to go to sleep. I'm going to be blah, 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 blah. disciplined about spending time with this. Blah, blah, blah. But, like, and I'm not a discipline-driven person as a New Covenant man. I believe that we are to operate out of the desire of our heart. And when your understanding of grace is there, there's gonna, you're going to live out of a want to. But I'm also very aware of the fact that we have a flesh and it's still there, and there's a carnal mind, and you're not going to always want to do what's good for you. Your flesh doesn't want to do long-term good. Your flesh wants right now pleasure. And right now pleasure, constantly partaken of, will not produce long-time good. Now, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm... I partake of the right now pleasure. You know what I'm saying? We got, we got all kinds of cookies back there. You know, I mean, I done ate the pound of that fudge that I wanted at the Christmas party. You know, so don't think I'm against that because I'm not. But there are times when you have to make a decision with your will to flip the light switch on, to turn the battery of the car on, and make a decision to change the way you're looking at things and rejoice. And David understood this. David understood this. Because there's a power in it. Let's turn to Psalm 34, please. David wrote this psalm after one of the worst moments of his entire life. Here he is, faithfully, just trying to serve Saul, just trying to do the right thing, just trying to Fulfill the call of God on his life. And he's in this situation where this person will not stop persecuting him and will not stop coming after him, will not stop attacking him, even though he doesn't deserve it. So him and Jonathan set up this arrangement where, you know, ask your dad one more time, you know, about me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss the, the feast at the new moon and just talk to your dad and let's see where he's at. And so, and then Saul almost kills Jonathan for even asking about David. He throws the javelin. And so Jonathan now knows that David, is, his life is in danger, and there's no way that they can turn, their, turn the dad's mind around. And so they set up this thing, we're going to shoot these arrows. Uh, it's like a code system of, you know, if I shoot the arrow beyond and I tell the young lad, go do this, then know that Saul is surely after your life. So David just has this moment in his life where he's rejected by the people that are supposed to love him and celebrate him and take care of him. And he's left everything, and he's on the run. He's in, the, he's in one of the worst moments of his life. But, and this is the psalm that he writes, Psalm 34. It says, a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech when he drove him away and departed. So not only is he running for his life, he's around this guy Abimelech, and he's concerned this guy's going to try to kill him. So David's, David's faking like he's mad in order to preserve his life. He's having a rough season. But this is what he writes. I will bless the Lord at all times. My prayer, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. David understood if there was ever a time where he needed to praise, it was now. It wasn't after he killed God. It's easy to praise when you're carrying Goliath's head in your hands. It's easy to praise when everything is going perfectly in your life. 
But David was in a period of time where he said, you know what? I got to make sure I stay focused on what's important. Because if I'm not careful, I'm going to get overwhelmed by the sorrow and the grief of these circumstances. So I've got to make a decision to keep his praise in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I love that. He said, let's make God big. Let's magnify God. Let's not magnify the circumstances. Let's not magnify the health issue. Let's not magnify uh, the silence. Let's not magnify the financial issue. Let's not magnify what's going on in this relationship. Let's magnify what's more. How many know that the Lord will outlast the circumstance? He will. He will outlast it. The circumstance will rise and fall, and it'll bow its knee to Jesus. You don't have one circumstance in your life that isn't going to, to bow its knee to Jesus Christ. It's the truth, man. There's an expiration date for every battle. And when we get our eyes off of the temporal and, and this time zone, and we start putting our eyes into eternity, I mean, you know, just like Paul, Paul's like, I'm in prison now, but I won't always be in prison. You know, I'm in a place of captivity now, and you might not be in a literal place of captivity, but how many of one of the, listen, this is really important, one of the worst places of captivity is right here. You can be in a place of captivity with negative, fearful thoughts. Listen, the, the main thing the enemy wants from you is he wants you to look at him. He is a jealous devil. Like he is, like he, he, he doesn't care how you look at him, just look, he just wants your attention. He's an attention-seeking darkness. And the way that he gets strong is by giving him attention. Don't look at him. Look at Jesus. Don't magnify him, magnify Jesus. You know, he tricked the body of Christ into this season of spiritual warfare where all people ever did was talk about the devil. Yeah. Take authority over him. Exercise your authority. But once you've done that, move on to the more important things and magnify the Lord. You know, if, I get, if I'm out preaching somewhere and I get in a service and all they want to do is talk about the devil, I'm like, gosh, man, y'all setting this thing up for failure. Like, don't just talk about the devil. Who cares about the devil? I didn't come to hear about the devil. When you focus on him, he gets big. Now, I'm not saying don't. Be, I don't, you know, we don't want to be ignorant of his devices. We want to recognize that we have an enemy. How many of us, the whole portion of the body of Christ act like there is no devil and it's just a figment of their imagination? That's not true. There is an enemy, but like you don't need to focus on him. Magnify the Lord. Make God big. Put your attention and your focus on him. And that's why when the children of Israel were coming out and the snakes were biting everybody, God was like, look at the pole. Change your focus. How many of they took the, serp, the bronze serpent, which was a typology of Jesus? And so whatever you're fighting, it's not, it's not worthy. Ugh. Whatever you're fighting, it's not worthy of your admiration. It's not worthy of your time and attention and your thoughts being filled with it. Dump the file of your mind and, and, and allow who is worthy to take up the thoughts in your mind. And you may have to be purposeful about doing it. You may have to pull out your Bible. You may have to go into a song. You may have to speak it out of your mouth. You may have to start practicing you know, some thanksgiving and some rejoicing. But as you keep magnifying the Lord, He's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then as He is bigger, the, the, your problem is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And you're going to have a proper perspective to navigate the duration of time it takes for Goliath's head to hit the floor. Because there is a duration of time, sometimes, that takes until Goliath's head hits the floor. But listen, you might as well enjoy the journey. But you will not enjoy the journey staring at him. Staring at what happened. You can't. And so David here is in this situation where people that were supposed to love him betrayed him, and he's around people that are his enemies, and he's afraid for his life. But he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. 
and I sought the Lord and he heard me, he delivered me from all of my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all those around them who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. How many you know at any point, at any time, you can taste and see? How you do it? Rejoice. Rejoice. It's like having a Snickers in your pocket <laughs> at any time. You know, it's not having that snack in your pocket. You can, you can pull out and rejoice in the Lord. And, and the thing that I want you to get, if you can develop this as a lifestyle, let your go-to be rejoicing instead of complaining. Complaining about your government doesn't change your government. You know, focusing on complaining and just, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, take a stand for the things that you believe in, but like, we got too many people whose hearts are filled with heaviness when the joy of the Lord is your strength. Magnify the Lord, amen? Rejoice in the Lord. And, you know, we, we, we see this in, um, turn to Acts 16, please. And I, and I want to take, another, take a look at another opportunity. And a lot of it has to do with changing your focus. You know, we take a look and, you know, talked about Paul just a moment ago. He wrote the book of Philippians out of prison. We see Paul and Silas um, in, in a really tough situation. Uh, you know, they're, they're persecuted. They're thrown in prison. They're in a dark prison cell. They're, 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 they have chains around. They're not just in prison, but they're chained. And so they're in this moment where they're having to make a decision on what they're going to focus on. What if Paul and Silas didn't sing and didn't give praise? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, what if they said, what, what if they were there and got mad at God? How many of us have been in a prison and rather than choosing to praise, we chose to find fault with God? All of us. How do you know, Jeremiah? Because the devil's a punk. And, and the primary, he's always wanting to get your heart offended against God. How do you think Adam and Eve took the bait? He, 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 he caused them to question the goodness of God. He, he said, you know what? God knows that when you eat that, you're going to be like him. And so <clears throat> what he was doing, he's subtly putting in their mind, God's holding something back from you. See, all wrong paths begin in a place of distrusting God or being offended at God. Everybody here, you've had things happen to you that you had an opportunity to be offended at God. Because you see the promises here and you see your experiences on this other end. Everybody in Scripture had an opportunity to be offended at God. I mean, old David was anointed to be king when he was a kid. He was a young man. He's probably a teenager. And he didn't put that crown on his head, the first crown, until I think he was 30. And, and, it, and, and it looked like everything God had promised him was a big bunch of nothing. And he had opportunity to get offended, and I think he got offended. I think he had a time when he was upset. How do you know, Jeremiah? Because this always astonishes me in Scripture, but he had a period of time when he was ready to fight against his own people. He was about to march in with the Philistines. How many of you know that sounds like offense to me? And the reason I bring that out is if you've had a period of your life when you were offended at God, it's okay. If you're offended at God right now, it's okay. But what I will say is that it's time to change the way you're looking at it because I promise you it's not God's fault. Here's the thing. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. See, we always want to lay blame. We love laying blame. Well, if it's not God's fault, it's got to be my fault. We want to lay blame somewhere. Listen, you can't take the blame. I can't take the blame. God doesn't deserve the blame. Put it on the cross. That's where all blame belongs. Because he's the only one that can handle it. And he took it and he brought it into himself. So if you want to blame somebody, 
blame the Son of God. Didn't he, though? He took it all, all sin. He became one with all sin. And one of the reasons he did that was so that, number one, so that you could enjoy forgiveness. But number two, so that forgiveness could flow out of you. And you could stay free from being your own vindicator. You are never called to vindicate yourself. You being your own vindicator is the opposite of the love walk. The love walk says, I trust God to vindicate me. Therefore, I will be good to my enemies. I will pray for my enemies. Amen. The love walk secures you and prevents you and protects you from being a retaliator or a vindicator. You're not called to bring forth justice in the land. In your personal life, I mean, if you're a judge or something like that, but you're called to love. Come on, guys. You're called to receive love. You're called to give love. I mean, you're called to receive forgiveness. You're called to give forgiveness. Amen. You can't, so, but the enemy wants you to blame God. Well, God, where were you? Why did that happen? Why did this happen? And what, it, what the enemy's trying to do is he's trying to build a stronghold of distrust in your heart towards God. Not that you're going to walk away from God. Because you, I mean, you know, you came to church this morning, right? You came here to seek God. But how I many you know you can have a stronghold of distrust way back in your mind that you've forgotten about? And maybe you've, you know, thrown some laundry on and, and, and just kind of forgotten about it, but it's still there because you had a circumstance in your life that hurt you so bad you didn't know how to handle it. So you didn't give it to God, but you didn't walk away from God, but it's still there like old dirty laundry stinking up your thought processes and affecting the way that you trust the Lord so that you can't live freely and lightly and come as a child. And God wants to penetrate that stronghold and tear it down because offense is a joy blocker. It's hard to be offended at God and rejoice in Him at the same time. So a lot of, a lot of times what happens is people are wounded in their hearts and in their minds. And physically, they're walking without a limp, but emotionally, they have a limp. And not just a limp, but a chip on their shoulder. Because they're mad at, why did, why, God, why did you let that happen? What you have, and what you have to understand about laying blame to God is this. God has given us free will, and he's given man free will. So there are horrible things that happen, and it's not God's fault. Like, it was never God's will that my dad didn't want to have anything to do with me. It was never God's will... Uh, you know, that I was, you know, hurt and abused as a kid. Those things weren't God's will. It wasn't God's will that I become a drug addict. None of those things were God's will. But God is so big and so awesome that now a part of my passion for being a father is that I didn't have one. So, like, I am very passionate about being a dad. It's one of the biggest passions in my life. And so what the enemy meant for evil, God's turned for, to good. And now I have such a passion for, for young people, not just my kids, but everybody's kids. And I'm a dad. I want to dad everybody. And I want to love them all. And I want to just hug them and, and, and love them. But it came out of the place of, of pain. God didn't bring the pain, but he filled it up with himself. Yeah, man. And so like now it's a cup of comfort that I can put to the lips of other fatherless people that experienced the pain that I experienced. And that's just one area. There's a million places of pain. There's a million places of failure. In your place of pain and failure where the enemy brought destruction into your life, if you'll, if you'll yield it to God, he'll turn it into a place of comfort that will comfort you and comfort those around you. But if you stay offended, then the cup is upside down and it can't be filled for you or anybody else. 
And you gotta you gotta turn the cup over. And you gotta let, and you gotta say, God, I trust you. Your praise will be continually in my mouth. I don't understand why I'm not walking into what you've given me. I don't understand why. I don't understand everything. I don't understand why this happened to me, but this is the thing. This is what I choose. Your praise will be continually in my mouth. I will magnify you at all times. So Paul and Silas in prison, rather than grumbling and complaining, begin to sing praises. And how many of them, they bust out of prison? And they didn't just bust themselves out, they busted other people out too. Somebody got saved in the process. So whatever the enemy intended for evil, God will turn for good, but you got to turn your cup over. You can't stay offended. You've got to make a decision. And then you also can't ignore it. Because what we do a lot of times is we ignore it. Maybe not. You know, men are really good at ignoring the way they feel. We are. We'd much rather get punched in the face than talk about the way we feel. I don't know, man. I, I mean, that's just how we are. I mean, I'm, I, you know, and, and I'm, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I don't understand it. We don't understand ourselves. And ain't nobody understand women, so, <laughs> including women. Amen. Praise God. Get, get, get nervous now. <laughs> no, man. Only God understands us, man. But, but what I am saying is this, like, if you've got an area of hardness in your heart towards the Lord, you can't just leave it there. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta acknowledge it. And I know it can be painful, but God wants to bring comfort out of that place. How I many you know if I was bitter about not having a dad, and I was still angry with him? How I many you know I couldn't be the comfort that I am now to other people? But because I have received the Lord's redemption and I've forgiven him, forgiven my dad, not holding anything against my dad, um, now that cup is turned up and that cup is full and it's actually a place of life. Amen? And so there are things that happen in this world that not God's will. You know what happened? Because there's an enemy and it's a fallen world and people made bad decisions. And I'm sorry that you were hurt in the process. But you've got to stop focusing on it. Because if you just continue to focus on it, it's going to consume you. And you're not going to break out of prison. And there's a worse prison than a physical prison. It's the prison you carry everywhere, and it's your thoughts. And I feel like God is giving an invitation to rejoice your way out of this season. But you're going to have to do something you might not feel like doing. If your emotions are the ruler of your heart, you're in trouble. I'm not against emotions. Emotions are great. I love emotions. God's an emotional God. I love to feel emotions. I cry when I preach a lot of times. I had to keep from crying on the way to church because Stacy put on this Christmas song about the perspective of the innkeeper in, in, the, uh, in the story of, 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 of uh, Mary and Joseph. It was great. And I was like, man, I can't get to crying yet. You know what I'm saying? I got to chill, keep it together for a little bit. So I'm not anti-emotion. I love emotion. God's emotional. But, but you can't allow your feelings to determine the direction of your life. If your feelings are Lord, then what's your faith for? And I don't, I don't mean that in like a, in a caustic sense, but I mean, you know, Paul and Silas, I mean, these brothers weren't just in jail. They got whipped. They probably didn't feel like praising the Lord. You know, sometimes we put these guys on a pedestal and they, they just floated through life like they were just like amazing. No, these were regular people like us. God don't pick supermen and superwomen. God picks regular people. He does. That's how he rolls because that's the only kind there are. But, I mean, old David probably didn't feel like praising the Lord at that time. So what I'm saying is you can learn how to choose to magnify the Lord. And nobody can do it for you. Your husband can't do it for you. Your wife can't do it for you. Your friends can't do it for you. No one can make you choose what you focus on. That's between you and the Lord. But why be miserable? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, why choose misery? Don't choose it. 
And don't exalt it. See, we can exalt pain to the point we protect it and we deify it and we bow down to it and it becomes our identity. It's called being a victim. God's never created anyone to be a victim. But if you protect your pain and you hold on to it and you just make it bigger than your God, then you won't choose deliverance. You'll choose bondage to honor your pain rather than honoring your deliverer. That choice is yours. Nobody can make that choice for you. Those are strong words. But they're true words. Everyone can choose deliverance. Come on, come on. It's good. Come on. That's right. Yeah, she got healed about 30 days ago, completely and totally healed in her back. All gone. Miracle, right? Yeah, praise God. Praise God. Amen. God, God doesn't, he doesn't want you living under pain, physically or mentally. Amen. He doesn't. He loves you. And um, we'll, we'll go to one last place here. Let's go to Second uh, Chronicles 20, and we'll close right here. But this is like our final piece in the Joy series. And um, I just encourage you, and I, I know I'm kind of saying the same thing over and over again, but like, I just, I want you to choose life. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I want you to choose life, but I can't make you choose life. And, 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 and I can't make this be more than just a sermon on a Sunday for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a choice. But 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and there's just a powerful example of this in Scripture. Um, the children of Israel, of course, are surrounded by the enemy because that's how it is. <laughs> and they're in this spot where all hell's breaking loose and the enemy's, you know, coming against them and they don't know what to do and they're not strong enough to overcome their battles. Kind of sound like us, right? It's the running theme, amen? I mean, we have a Savior, amen? But it's, so St. Chronicles chapter 20, verse 14, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, Levi to the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly, and he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you king of Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up uh, by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook from the wilderness of Jeruel, and you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. So, you're not fighting the battle, but you are positioning yourself to see the deliverance. But the positioning is the rejoicing. I mean, when you make a decision to rejoice in the midst of the challenge, and you magnify God in the midst of all the trouble... You're changing the way you see the situation. And you're positioning yourself. He didn't say, go fight them. He didn't go say, you need to be strong. He just said, position yourself. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I mean, we've been talking about positioning ourselves all morning. This is, this is your part. God's the one who's strong. He's the one that's deliverer. But he needs you to position yourself with rejoicing. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his, his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they arose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness to Koya. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. And, and, and when he's talking about a prophet, he's talking about a now word. I mean, O God's still delivering now words. 
How many of you know this is a now word? It's a now word. This is a word specific for your season. That's what the prophetic does. It's the voice of your dad giving you a, a right now instruction on how to overcome. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who would sing to the Lord and who would praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord, to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Zir. And so what happened was they didn't come to fight. They came to rejoice. And as they rejoiced, the Lord set ambushments against their troubles. Right? And here's the thing. It's funner to rejoice than to fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd rather praise God than swing a sword. And so, like, I mean, you know, while they were rejoicing, they were probably having a better day than that they were in the carnage of the battle. And what I'm saying is, your position as a praiser and as a rejoicer is a, is a better position than, than, than getting down in the trenches and trying to fight a battle that's not your battle to fight. Enemy wants to get you out of your position of praise and get you down into the trenches and to start pointing fingers on who to blame. First finger we talked about for a long time? It's, this is God's fault. Futile. Next finger we talk about? This is my fault. Futile. Next finger we've talked about, somebody else's fault. Futile. Enemy say, come on out of your high place and come fight with me on the ground. And let's weigh in the balances who's right, who's wrong, and who's to blame. What is that? That's legalism. It's law. That's who, 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 whose fault is it? Now listen, I'm, I'm not saying there shouldn't be accountability in people's lives. I'm not saying that. I'm not washing away accountability. I mean, you should be accountable to the people around you. Amen? I mean, you need to say you're sorry when you need to say you're sorry. I know you're the righteousness of God. I know you're forgiven, but you're called to walk in love. Can I get an amen? I'm not doing away with accountability, but I'm saying that the enemy doesn't want you to position yourself in a place of magnifying the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord, he wants you to come down and fight in the, in the trenches of who's right and who's wrong and who's to blame. Don't do that. Get up out of the trench. Get your eyes back on the Lord. And how many know I would much rather the Lord set an ambushment against my enemy than for me to fight my, the enemy myself? I feel like God can beat it better than we can. And see, out of the place of rejoicing, how many know you can get into the place of the Spirit and God might give you some wisdom. God might give you something to say. God might give you something to do. But how many know that godly wisdom is first pure and peaceable and easy to be entreated? How many know offended, angry people aren't operating in godly wisdom? And how many know you can be an offended, angry Christian? And you can be just as much a part of the problem <laughs> as the other people. Reposition yourself. Get into the position of rejoicing. Set let God set ambushments. Can I get an amen? How many of that's a lot easier? Really, if we'll just choose it. And then I'm not going to read the rest of it, but if you go down to the bottom, it says they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And, the, and, the, and three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And the next thing I want to tell you is the beauty of the Lord is on, on, on when Goliath falls, it's promotion time. When, when, when you get to the other side of the battle, how many of you there's blessing on the other side? Gosh, it's always that way, guys. There's blessing. And I'm not just talking about, you know, there's all different types of blessing. How many of you there's deeper places in relationship? There's deeper places in a fellowship. There, there's, a, there's a freshening and a gnawing of hearts. There's also financial blessing that God wants to bring into people's life. There's, there's, there's a million different types of blessing that God wants to bring into your life. So this battle that you're warring against, it's not just you getting through 
the misery of the battle on the other side of this. God has great things for you. But stop pointing fingers at God, yourself, or anybody else. Just rejoice. Rejoice. Be thankful. Magnify the Lord. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Amen. It's a good word. Yes, I agree. I agree. I agree. So I just want to pray over this real quick here. Father, we just thank you for this moment of time. And Lord, I just am so grateful for the right now words of heaven. And Lord, I, I thank you that in everybody's daily life, Lord, those that are here and those that are watching online, those that are watching in the future, that you just give us, you just like David appointed somebody to rejoice, give us appointments of rejoicing. Oh, you got 10 minutes in your car while you're while your, while your spouse or your kid runs into the store. Set this aside. Set your phone down and rejoice with me for a little bit. Early in the morning, for everybody gets up, a rejoicing appointment. Going through the, the marketplace under your breath, rejoicing. I thank you, Lord, that you help us, Spirit of God, you help us set appointments of rejoicing. And teach us how to get good at being thankful. I thank you, Lord, we choose life, and you help us with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Praise God.